Emily Kaplan, I was in Las Vegas before I came here to Dallas. I can't prove it from a meteorological standpoint, but I do believe that in the middle of the desert in Nevada, it was 30 degrees cooler than it is here in Dallas. I hate it here. It's so hot. It's so hot. It's humid. How hot is it? So hot. So hot in here. I literally went to CVS. I had to buy 100 SPF sunscreen, and I literally put it on my legs before I even got the receipt at CVS. I couldn't wait that long. You, so even before that they were done with the transaction? It was a savage move. Wow. That's yeah. usually me with a with a, with a a tall boy. And the girl said to me, you got to do what you got to do, girl. <laughs> Chris Peters was my witness. On the way over to the hotel, I passed by a, an outdoor <laughs> children's playground, and I just started laughing. I'm like, that's a joke, right? Like, there's nobody, no child through the months of, I'm guessing, uh, February through December would be outside in any of this, would they? So I'm slightly sunburned right now, and the only time I ever drink coconut water is when I'm hungover or sunburned, because it's disgusting and it tastes like chalk. Mm-hmm. I literally had five today. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Austin a bunch of times. I feel like it's the same heat, but I know that essentially the reason I'm outside is to either go hear great music or eat great barbecue. So maybe I just need to recalibrate myself here in Dallas so I'll, to understand why this is all happening. And also the reminder that for the most part, we're going to be in a giant air-conditioned uh, uh, building for the most of the weekend here at the draft. Yeah, like I look at what I packed. It's not bathing suits and flip-flops, unfortunately. No. Was, I like the way you said bathing suits because it was nearly Russian. <laughs> bathing suits. By the way, speaking of Russian last night, Alex Ovechkin, when he announced the Hart Trophy winner, Everybody thought he said Tyler Tyler Hall, but I'm pretty sure that's just the Russian. Like the winner is Tyler Hall, you know. Like I think that's what it was. I'm hoping it wasn't that he thinks it's Tyler Hall. It's possible though. He's think- also possible he's still drunk. So I mean that's <laughs> it too. <laughs> How young did he look, by the way? He uh, he is aging backwards at a rate where Alex Ovechkin will 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 crawl onto the ice in a diaper with a teething ring. On opening night, because it, not only is it like, does he look younger? Like, it's this boundless enthusiasm where he's just like skipping around the hotel before the award. This is stuff. great for two reasons. One, I feel like we've gone on many a years without appropriate Benjamin Button references. So we yeah. can bring those back. Yeah. And two, it's so true though. Like, I remember the beginning of the season when I interviewed him in preseason, um, they were, they were still in training camp and I was just like, this guy's washed up. And I think it was his attitude, too. So I love the fact that the vodka has reinvigorated him. It really has. It's his lifeblood. All right. Coming up on ESPN on Ice today, we're going to be talking about the NHL awards that happened last night. We're going to be talking about the NHL draft that's going to happen this weekend. We're going to talk about Barry Trotz becoming the new head coach of the New York Hockey Islanders. What? And we have two incredible, two incredible, two incredible guests. Tell me your guests, because this is all you, man. Matt Barzell of the New York Islanders, your Calder Trophy winner for 2018. And P.K. Subban, defenseman for the Nashville Predators, who tells us here on the podcast he'd like to remain that way, uh, who is your cover boy for NHL 18 uh, for uh, EA Sports. And it's it's a good time on both those guys. And can we just call him boyfriend of Lindsey Vaughn from here on out? We talk about that, too, on the show. What? Oh, yeah. I can't wait to listen. All right. All that and more on ESPN Ice. Uh, so let's start the show. From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, and welcome to ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. Not to be confused with In the Crease, the streaming television program where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national, national NHL reporter. And we are here in Dallas, Texas for the NHL draft of 2018. 
Rasmus Dalin will be drafted number one to save the Buffalo Sabres and lead them to glory. My favorite thing about the draft is these prospects who have had to come out and face the national media or international media a couple times and just how exhausted they are by it. So like Rasmus Dalin's whole bit is that he won't even entertain the fact that he's going number one. Yeah, whoever takes me. Mm. But my other favorite thing that happened today is Philip Zadina, who was on the podcast last week, Mm -hmm. a very engaging young prospect, and everyone is pegging him to Montreal at number three. So he's just getting hoarded by all of these... um, French Canadian journalists. Oh, just, well, uh, Zadina, well, do you think Quebec City is going to get a team? It's a, not, not that, like more like Montreal. Yeah. Questions. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And they're all just asking him, you know, oh, how many times did you eat with them? What did you eat? All this stuff. And so finally, when I get my question, I was like, hey, you know, if you could be line mates with anyone in the NHL, uh, Philip, who would you pick? And he goes, on the Canadians. <laughs> been beaten down. I was like, we can talk about non-Montreal questions, Philip. It's okay. What's your favorite animal? Yeah. Does Montreal Montreal have a mascot? Yeah. Um, All right. Well, we'll get to draft stuff a little bit later. Um, It's going to be an interesting weekend, I think, transactionally in this league. Um, And the draft should should be fun, too. Everybody I've talked to leading up to the draft tells me to think uh, it's going to be one of those where a lot of picks could be in play. But Honestly, that's what they say every year, and then nothing ever happens <laughs> outside of that one year. The Boston Bruins had three picks in a row and didn't take Matt Barzell, who, by the, the way, is on ol- the podcast today. And the only thing that happens is Philip Grubauer is inevitably traded of to course. the... Of course. Maybe not the New York Islanders anymore, though. Well, the New York Hockey Islanders. Do you think they're going to want to screw over Barry? Why would they screw... What? what? For, he loves Grubauer. Who does? Barry. Yeah, I know. So the Islanders would block that move. Oh, trading to the, the Islanders. Would block that move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. My oh, bad. Oh, yeah. No, that that's a distinct possibility. But they got to move him at some point. Who knows? Maybe they'll do him a solid, being that Barry Trotz won them a cup, uh, despite the fact that doing him a solid would probably be giving him a, a new contract. We'll talk about Barry Trotz later in the program. But first, let's talk about the NHL Awards last night. The Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, was the site. You know how we talked about a lot about how the Vegas Golden Knights found the perfect sort of like way to incorporate Vegas stuff into their um, in mm-hmm. arena like uh, entertainment, but they didn't go overboard. Yes, last night was a good example of overboard. <laughs> last night had a ventriloquist. No, who, by the way, Terry Fator is his name. He's a very famous ventriloquist in Vegas. He's like Vegas famous. You see his picture in the in the, the airport when you get out of the plane and stuff. Um, there was one moment on the red carpet where he was standing there with a puppet on his hand s- next to Marc Messier, and I, I couldn't get my camera out fast enough to capture that moment because <laughs> it would have been really the greatest thing in the history. That would have been maybe 1A with the Marc Messier-Gary Coleman photo for the best Marc Messier photos of all time. Um, and the third greatest Marc Messier moment. Yeah. The, the guarantee. Right. The guarantee, yeah. Gary Coleman, and then standing next to a puppet. Yes. Um, the 2018 NHL the Awards. Yeah, yes. Exactly. So uh, that you had that. You had the magician who, uh, hey – Two out of three tricks ain't bad. Uh, he, he completely screwed up the Selkie Trophy reveal. Uh, it was supposed to be a trick, if you didn't see it, where he puts the cards on the table, literally. And uh, it's supposed to make a picture of the winner of the award. Um, but when he did it, you saw bits and pieces of what looked like a Los Angeles Kings uniform, so you knew it was Kopitar that won. But the picture itself was like a child had dropped a box of jigsaw pieces on the ground. <laughs> the magician starts hastily <laughs> moving them around to try to make the picture as best Maybe it was just like a really bad depiction, like the Cristiano Ronaldo-like statue. It could be. It could plaque. be he was going for something more abstract, like yes. Picasso. Um, then, of course, as everybody saw, Kopitar actually snubbed the guy trying to shake his hand uh, because the trick was so bad. Um, but the other two tricks he made Bettman disappear and turn into a child it everyone was must have loved that yeah and and like so it was, it was a bit too Vegasy 
I think, last night. But that's fine because the rest of the time was super maudlin. Like the whole point of the show um, was to, you know, give out awards, but also to, uh, you know, acknowledge the unavoidable tragedies that happened last year, the Humboldt bus crash, the shooting on the Strip and the shooting in Parkland. And I thought they did a really – listen – the NHL um, <laughs> does not have my faith insofar as proper acknowledgement of tragedy at an entertainment event, but I thought they did really good with it la- la- yesterday at the at the awards. It was really authentic, and I mean, just the humble part of it. Like yeah. I was talking to Caleb, one of the players on the team who I wrote about, and like he was just genuinely giddy to go, and just for them to make that happen. Like these kids hadn't seen each other at all yeah. since the hospital. If you think about it, they went to three different hospitals. They were all discharged at different times they all went to several parts of canada like it was very cool for them to be all there together how great was that speech by the coach's wife yeah hoggins wife that was yeah. so composed and hoggin gets the first uh willio re award uh which is sort of a community hockey building award thing um so that was really touching and you could tell that the players were really into it like the, the having the humbled kids there the stoneman douglas players were there um there was a lot of moments leading up to the award show itself where you were talking to some of these guys that are up for awards, and it's like, yeah, it was amazing to meet these kids. Like, mm-hmm. it puts you, you know, I think a lot of guys were really shaken by it because they were those kids, young players on a bus at one point. And to meet them and to meet some of the, the, the players that, you know, don't have the ability to walk right now, I think was, I mean, it's, it's a level of gravitas that you don't normally see in a, mm-hmm. in a frivolous awards ceremony. And I thought that it was handled really respectfully. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some of these awards. Let's start off. Well, let's get the easy ones out of the way. No problem with Barzell winning the Calder. Although easy somebody, runway winner. Somebody had him third, which I think is an interesting math. We'll talk about some of these awards ballots. And was that released. Vancouver Media by uh, chance? It, it might have been. Besser first and, and, and Barzell third. Um, I think there would have been some writer that put uh, Debrinket ahead of Barzell as well, which is... No. Yeah, for real. Okay, so here's my caveat there. Okay. As everyone knows, I live in Chicago. I watch Alex Debrinket a lot. And I was just so impressed by him this year for so many different reasons. Just like Q hates rookies the way he seamlessly played in that lineup and played even better when he's on the top line. So I put him in my top five, but I egregiously left off Clayton Keller at all in that's, my top five. That's fine. It is what it is. And yeah, I know. I feel bad. And to be honest, it's just I didn't watch as many Coyotes games. That's fine. Um, the, this font is way too small to actually find out who I'm talking about with this brink of flow. By the way, you know, I don't want to call out anybody. I will call out, uh, um, <laughs> who is it? It was, uh, Gam Matsuda, who's a writer in Los Angeles, who put Yanni Gord, uh, first for the Calder, which is really an amazing feat when you was consider the Was the voting right around the Yanni, the Laurel Yanni? <laughs> Maybe he was just like he loved that so much. He, he was hypnotized by the Laurel Yanni uh, sound uh, yeah. uh, trick uh, that the only thing he could do was uh, put the name down on his ballot. That's a very good. That's a very good theory. Yeah. All right. So Barzell wins in a walk. I think he had, you know, up, he didn't. He had all but four first place votes for the Calder. Uh, Gallant wins Coach of the Year. McPhee wins GM of the Year. GM of the Year award, like I said this week on ESPN in our roundtable. Get rid of it. Who gives? Who cares? Like you judge a general manager within like a five year span to figure out if the stuff he did actually mattered. Um, so it's like being like, congratulations, you maneuvered your way around the expansion draft. Is to me, it's like, all right, that's pretty myopic as far as we rewarding can, effort. We'll take a year off to two years off. We'll give it to Seattle's GM when that happens, right. and then we can never have it again. There you go. Uh, Victor Hedman wins the Mor- the Norris Trophy. Uh, Dowdy second, and Subban was a distant. Th- third i thought it was interesting in the voting for the norris uh klingberg was way out of contention despite i think probably having led the award for i'd say the better part of maybe five months during the season because he was leading the league in scoring yeah i think his 
he regressed towards the end of the season, and I did watch a lot of stars at the end of the season, just as they, they tailspinned. And I think just them totally falling out of the uh, playoffs. I don't have his second half stats in front of me, but they're just not as impressive. Like, almost all of his damage was done in the first half of the yeah. season. He finished sixth for the award. He got one first place vote. Uh, a lot of people online, when the uh, award vote award voting was revealed for the uh, Norris, uh, Eric Carlson was 12th. Now, I mean, like, again, it's tough with Carlson, just like it's tough with Bergeron, in the sense that, like, these guys are so demonstrably better than everybody else in the league at what they do, that uh, in a year where they might not necessarily have been the best in the league at what they do, it's still a case where they're probably exponentially better than most humans are. Well, I'll give a caveat. I totally agree with that. But I also think Bergeron was still the best defensive forward in the game this year. He just missed time. And that's the only reason that he wasn't first. You're probably right. When you look at some of his stats, they're just absolutely absurd. If I were a betting man, I would have put millions on William Carlson winning the Lady Bing for one reason, which is that everybody wanted to give William Carlson an award for something because of the season. It's the consolation prize. It is the total consolation prize. Usually the Lady Bing is simply just like, most points, least penalty minutes. To this year, I was talking to some guys in Vegas. And they're like, "What? You, what do you think William Carlson's going to do awards wise? Like, could he win the Selkie?" I'm like, "No, he's going to win Lady Bing because no one really cares about the award in you know in totality. So we'll just give it to the guy who we feel like should get an award for something." Can I tell you what I would love? And I wrote this in our ESPN roundtable. Like in this whole push for transparency. I didn't know how to vote for this award, right? Like, right. I literally just didn't understand the criteria. Like, yeah, it's so vague. It's vague, and, and we shouldn't vote for it. The officials should, because they're the ones who are the ones that judge right. who is gentlemanly. So if the officials aren't going to vote, if they want us to vote, I would love the officials to submit five nominees yeah. and give me concrete examples. Hey, when this player was being unruly, like, this guy stepped it up and said, hey, teammate, calm it down. Make, it like, make it like the Masterton for us. Yeah. Like, have, the, have the officials submit a, a group of guys that are like, here are the ones that we think were the most gentlemanly players. And give me, like, four or five examples and let, like, that, let's do it that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, Derek Anglin wins the Marc Messier NHL Leadership Award for Leadership from Marc Messier. Uh, it's Presented fun. by a puppet. Presented. <laughs> I, that's he seemed happy. I mean, the Knights did really well. I mean, Engeland and Carlson and McPhee and Gallant all won awards, so that's pretty good to honor them in the season that they had. Uh, Pekka Rene wins the Vezina because the voting happens before the regular se- before the playoffs, <laughs> obviously. Um, but he just des- he deserved it this year. Oh, he had a great regular season. I thought it was real interesting though that um, Vasilevsky didn't get a first place vote despite being as good as he was this year. He tailspin, not tailspin. He, he had a rough month. Yeah, he was pedestrian. Right. And it wasn't that he was like that bad, it was just pedestrian. It was just interesting to see that like the, the general managers are the ones that vote on the Vesna, which means it tells you that they probably thought that he, maybe the team in front of him was, was the reason he did what he did. That's my only, that's right. my only like, so like it's on not that. like Pekka was playing in front of a bunch mm. of scrubs. May, may or may not have won the President's Trophy, and we all agree that they have the best defensive group in the league. The most shocking thing for me was the fourth-place vote-getter for the Vezina was Freddie Anderson. Yeah, that was shocking. Yeah, one first-place, two second-place, one third-place. Finished ahead of Marc-Andre Fleury, John Gibson, and Sergei Bobrovsky. Against Just, the Gibson, I think, is robbery. Yeah. Against Bobrovsky is also kind of absurd. Yeah, it, it, it was a little, little bit absurd. Okay, so that was the Vezina. Um, we move on to, uh, we got coach. The, I think that's all this stuff. Oh, uh, the, the Selkie went to, um, as we mentioned to Kopitar. That was where the voting was all over the place. I mean, for, for your mea culpa of, of, you know, your voting, my mea culpa is I didn't have Kopitar in my top five. Really? I, no, I, I, I think this was the problem with the Selkie is that this award has become something where, um, point totals 
and defensive reputation in previous seasons have to me become the equation for determining the the winner for many people. <laughs> and and you know, is that fair to some of the guys? Like my my number one guy was Miko Koivu because yeah. I think demonstrably he had the best season of any defensive forward. But the problem is, is that his point total was nowhere near what it was for Kopitar or or points per game for Bergeron or or half the other guys in the ballot. Barkov, like he was never going to get a sniff. Right. So I was like one of five guys to have Koivu. So now I feel like a hipster. I feel yeah, that's a total <laughs> hipster. I had Koivu. Good. He was number four or five for me. That's great. That's the way it should be. Go, Miko. All right. Finally, the um, Hart Trophy, of course, went to Taylor Hall of the New Jersey Devils. I love that split and first place votes. Mm -hmm. It was so close. 72 for Hall, 60 for McKinnon, 11 for Kopitar, 10 for Giroux. The majority of them from the Keystone State. <laughs> uh, and from one side of the Keystone State, yep. one and, quarter. And six first place votes for Connor McDavid. I did go back and check the six place, uh, six first place votes, not all Canadian exclusive. Oh. I was surprised by there that. There's someone outside of the province of Alberta. But he was fifth ahead of Kucherov and ahead of Malkin and Wheeler. Ovechkin was ninth. He was on your ballot. Ovechkin, because can I tell you why? He had 20% of the team scoring. Oh, I think, I, the thing, you know, as as you all know, I've been fighting the great Connor McDavid heart wars for the better part of a year. I'm happy that I was vindicated uh, by the voters by him not being a finalist. Um, it's been it's been fascinating to see the debates. And honestly, like maybe if it wasn't a year where there were eight other guys basically that had a case for the heart trophy, then the Connor thing might resonate more. But man, 17 points out of the playoffs. And to me, if you're pissed at me for not having him on my ballot, be more pissed at the people put him fifth. <laughs> if you're going to have Connor McDavid on your ballot, okay, have him on your ballot. Be, judge him the way that he should be judged. I, I have, I, I love our, our brothers and sisters in the PHWA, at least the ones that, you know, correctly fit other ballots, but I do not understand <laughs> for the life of me the idea that it's like, you know what? I don't think he should win. So I'll give him the fifth place vote, you know, just in case he needs that extra support, but not for me though. I'll do, you know, it's like tipping 5%. Like, either you're in or you're out. <laughs> tipping 5%. <laughs> what evil, twisted, sadistic person tips 5%? The Connor McDavid fifth place voter is the person who tips 5%. I tip 4%. Uh, this is a 4% gratuity meal situation. Well, you know, he did bring our water on time. But it was very, very warm. Yeah, and 20 is so much. <laughs> Americans are the worst. Um, well, any, any other takeaways from the NHL awards last night? No, I was, I was just more surprised by the rookies, I guess. I still am on my, like, horse for Charlie McAvoy and just saying this is ridiculous. It was criminal that he wasn't top three. I was also surprised that Kyle Connor didn't get more yeah. love. The, 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 the final voting for the Calder, Barzal with 160 first place votes. I mean, landslide there. Sure. Besser, uh, Keller, Connor, then McAvoy. McAvoy, you know, it's a positional it's a, bias. It's a positional bias, and, and it's also a weird deal because it's not as if that he, his his body of work was all that far off from what Besser's ended up being. So, like, the idea that you wouldn't honor him with uh, – my top three were Barzell, uh, Besser, and McAvoy. Maybe McAvoy over Besser. But, like, those – I'm sorry. Like, all due respect to Clayton Keller and Connor and, and, and Gord and all these guys – like those were the three best rookies of the year, and and, Kyle, and, and, and Kyle, without question, Kyle Cotter was at the end of the season playing on the top line of the second best team in the NHL mm -hmm. and producing goals for them. Yeah, and that was and that was sort of the Panarin argument for mm -hmm. for the, the Calder. Um, you know, in that year was like you know his ability to maintain his spot 
with with Patrick Kane was always sort of like a reason to vote for him. I guess we should pause and mention that, by the way. What did you think about Panarin uh, not signing an extension with the with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets uh, and saying he'd like to wait? I love it. I, I think I believe that players should exercise their right that they get to decide what they want to do. He's obviously eyeing 2019 free agency. He's not ruling out the fact that he wants to sign long term with the Columbus Blue Jackets, but he's probably being like, "Yo, Yarmo, like I just want to see what you're going to do with our roster. Like, right. are we going to win or are we not going to win?" Yeah. And if he gets to that, you know, maybe he's going to be a rental for some team and go at the trade deadline if they can't figure something out. But he's going to get to 2019. He gets to pick where he wants to go and he's going to get paid. Good for him. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's a situation where, like, if he does walk that you can kill the Blue Jackets for it. Like, no. Brandon Saad was, wasn't working the way he should have worked in Columbus. They had the opportunity to trade up in a big way and get a better player. They took their, sh- they shot their shot. And if he decides not to stay, then he doesn't stay. It's like right. you, you, the only thing you can do is try to build a good team and make your case. Mm-hmm. And if a guy doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to be there. You can't like hypnotize him, right? You know, or you know, or you put truth to your minimum or something and convince him to stay. If he wants to go, he's going to go. Um, I, I still think though that you know one of the theories I, I heard around the awards was he's waiting just to see what some of these other contracts look like, and then he'll eventually sign. Yeah. For Columbus's case, I hope that's the situation. Cause I would, who is he I, waiting on, like Matthews? Well, probably, you know, that. I, mean, I think I think Tavares' is gonna, contract is going to raise a lot of boats, you know, as far as what he might get on an annual yeah. basis from the Islanders. So there's other shoes that have to drop still um, before Speak- he, he signs, and, and hopefully that's the situation. Because I, I, I really like the idea of Columbus – I like what they're building there. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got some pieces. They need depth and, and, but, but they they need him to be the linchpin offensively, without question. Yeah, and they also need to get him some help. Yeah, offense like defense looks great. They got to pay Bobrovsky too. Or or don't. Or, or do you not? Well, they're a great prospect, right? Yeah. Well, they 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 the, the Finnish kid. They didn't mm-hmm. you know want him to be taken in the in the expansion draft. Um, you know, it's a K and a bunch of O's and a bunch of P's. I'm not going to attempt it right now without looking at it. So, you know, they, they got that going for him. I mean, Bob's great, but I mean, at some point, maybe you, you look at those playoff stats and you're like, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you don't give him the Lundquist money. I don't know. Um, all right. So that's the NHL awards. A good time had by all for the second straight year. I thought the award show was really entertaining. Um, last year, obviously, they had the uh, expansion draft. That's what the linchpin this year. It was the tragedies. I'm sure next year we'll go back to uh, Rob Riggle making hockey jokes that he doesn't understand. Bring back Rob Riggle, <laughs> said everybody ever. All right. Our extra attacker this week is someone who will be talking about not only uh, the NHL awards, but also uh, his season, where the Islanders are going and all that stuff, uh, including some really interesting discussion about Connor McDavid. Uh, it's Matt Barzell from the New York Islanders. Matt Barzell is, of course, an amazing uh, rookie. You are getting your own Adidas marketing campaign. If you had a chance to mold and shape it any way that you wanted to mold and shape it, who would you like to appear in a commercial with? Where would it be? What would you be doing? Um, I mean, obviously, they have some great players already. I mean, Connor McDavid, would, I'm you know friends with him now, and he's a special player. So, you know, that'd be, that'd be amazing. Obviously, PK is a you know, huge... Um, huge name in, in the whole sports world which that would be crazy and aside from that i'm a big basketball fan i know they have guys like james harden and Dam- damian lillard so that's kind of cool and you know aaron judge too so i mean they got some some pretty high-end athletes i think uh any one of them I, i'd be honored to to do with let's pause on hoops because as you know we're espn so we got to get basketball in oh, yeah. at all times oh, yeah. where do you think lebron will go where would you like to see lebron go i mean i think I think he's going to go to the Lakers. Don't want him to, though. I would like to see him go 
stay in the east maybe philly would be cool um or i, I want to see him team up with maybe russell westbrook yeah russ is in kind of a spot because he's off on his own little island yeah. um i'm with you on philly i think the lebron and joel show would be worth the price mission but i mean he's he's gonna be a laker and i know i know I, I, listen, I don't know anything. You'd figure that I, you know, I could go ask Woj, but that doesn't mean that uh, he's going to tell me. But the thing is, is that like I'm a fan of of evil empires, and uh, not not a fan to root for, but a fan of their existence. Like it's good to have a team that you kind of hate, and I feel like the 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 good vibes that LeBron got going back to Cleveland and winning a championship there would be turned on a dime if he went to the Lakers. Um, jeez. I mean, or do you think he'd still be a hero with the Lakers? Um, I think, I mean, I know just because the Lakers have had Kobe and I think Shaq and stuff, I think, you know, maybe that wouldn't look, you know, great on him. But, I mean, it's, you know, he's done so much in this 15 years that it doesn't, you know, he, you know, there's not much really he can more he can do other than maybe win another championship or MVP. So, um, I mean, when he did, when he went back to Cleveland and got that championship, that was kind of heroic for the, for the, for the city of Cleveland, so he's a legend there, and he'll be a legend there forever, though. So, it's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about hockey. When did you know that you had incredible chemistry with Jordan Eberle? Um, you know what? I think we got we got paired in about seven games in, and just kind of clicked. And he's just such an easy player to play with. I think any you, you plug him in with anyone, and he finds chemistry. So, I love playing with him the whole year. He's super skilled and sees the ice so well, and really good at. He has a really good knack for making little passes and. You know, he played with McDavid for two years there, so he obviously, um, you know, knew how to make those little little plays and always got in the puck, and it was great. So, you know, he's just a super smart player, and it was easy for me. If I had, if I had, was able to travel back in time in a DeLorean or something, and I showed you your stats from this past season to you back in like September, would your assumption have been that they put you on Tavares's wing? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah. If you showed me a little while ago, yeah, for sure I would. Yeah, Johnny's Johnny's one of the best players in the league. You know, one of the hardest working guys in the league and best captain. So, I mean, yeah, I think if I think if you showed me maybe I don't know, ten years ago or something, yeah, for sure I'd be playing on his wing. He'd be he'd be feeding me pucks. Yeah. <laughs> But it's good, like, it works out the other way though, where like he, his existence probably made your life easier, taking the assignments and, and that's a, he's, he's out there against Patrice Bergeron and you can kind of yeah. do your thing. Yeah, he just make, makes it easier on me just cause he was so, he's so established in the league and every night he has to play against, you know, Chara and again Bergeron, those, those kind of lines, Kopitar. So it actually really helps a guy like me and you know what, we actually played in the power play together and found a little chemistry there. So, um, I think, you know, our games are a little bit different, but they work well together because, you know, maybe throws teams off with, you know, there's there's different styles. I did like five minutes of research into you, and I discovered that Sidney Crosby was your favorite player growing up. Yeah, Sid and I'd say Sid and Pavel Dadsuk. Get to Pavel in a second. So you you played thir- just over 13 minutes against Sid this year. Yeah. What was that like? It was great. It was, I mean, <laughs> early on it was... Uh, it was I was you know going in the face off looking at his stick and you know that kind of stuff being a little fanboy a little bit but once you once you get into it and you know when, the, when you're saying looking at his stick just just what he's doing with it kind of just like well, I've watched him for you know ten years now and just you know know his his gear you know he's got a really you know weird curve so I wanted to see like if it was like that up up close you know it's kind of funny was it yeah it was it was exactly what I thought it was gonna be <laughs> yeah. 
Datsuk, I saw on Instagram that you met him overseas, right? I did, yeah. You did your research, eh? I went on Instagram. It's it's the modicum of research I could do before talking to you. What was it like uh, talking to the magic man? Oh, it was so cool. He actually it was super cool. He came up to me and uh, he said, uh, he's like, oh, you're number 13 too. Which is which is which is pretty. I was like, wow. I was like, I was like, I'm I'm good. I'm my career's good. That's that's all I need. You know, the magic man knew uh, what number I was wearing. But no, it was just. I mean, I played against him. I was actually uh, upset that I I never got a chance to play against him in the NHL, and so I went over there and I, I wanted to get a stick, but uh, I didn't want to push it too far. You know, I already asked for a picture. Do you get the comparisons? Like, I mean. I mean, from a stick handling perspective, he was elite, you're elite. Do you see yourself becoming the kind of defensive player that he was? Or do you think you are already? I don't know. Well, how do you feel about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think uh, that's something I really want to work towards. Just even when I watched him when we played against him, he's just always in the right position, and he's just so smart around the whole ice, and I think that's why he gets points because he's just doing everything right at all times, so it's bound, he's bound to get good points and whatnot, and I would love to you know, be that kind of player one day. Let's talk about the Islanders. Have you met Lou? I have not. No, I uh, have talked to him on the phone, though. What What'd you think of that whole thing? I mean, now all of a sudden he comes in, all of a sudden the two guys that you're with the whole year go out. Was it a necessity to kind of move the organization forward, or did it kind of, or did it kind of come as a shock to you? I mean, you always hear rumblings and rumors and whatnot, and our owners are eager to win, and you know they, they showed that with hiring Lou, and obviously Lou is just a... Um, he's great at what he does you know he's had success everywhere so um he he did what he thought was best obviously i love dougie and i love garth just because you know they're always going to have a tie to my career just drafting me and first year coach so um it was crazy it was you know it was crazy at the time but i think um lou knows what he's doing he knows what he's doing but he definitely has the reputation right like i mean he's he's the facial hair guy and the whole thing is it kind of like is it, is it sort of like when when the teacher walks into class and everybody kind of straightens their back because now he's he, the professor is in the in the room now? <laughs> um, you know what? Actually, I won't even lie. Like he does have that vibe, so <laughs> he gives off that vibe a little bit. Which is, I mean, hey, that's that's kind of what you need as a as a guy with in that position. So we talked about Instagram a little bit. I was I was reading up on the fact that that is sort of your social media of choice sort of your hobby of choice i imagine it's like the thing the way you keep in touch with people so the question then becomes is it just that account or are you kind of on the down low on another place to kind of keep up with friends that people don't need to know about um you know what i think maybe now more as my um career progresses it you know under the spotlight a little bit more so i don't really like to my family's you know that's not something i really would you know care to um put out in the public maybe per se but you know, I have a little sister. I mean, that kind of stuff to me is that's just that's family and whatnot. So I, I do try to try to keep that separate, but um, try to keep it a lot of hockey, a lot of hockey based. And um, yeah, it's it, I do the same thing. I so try, I try more to like maybe show other people like kind of what I'm doing more than like you know if it's my I don't really care to post a birthday picture of myself. You know, like uh, people do that. I care to show like what what uh what i'm doing if i met somebody cool or what's going on that kind of stuff more than anything i have a policy on twitter of putting no personal photos on twitter pretty much outside of like being here in a casino or something uh instagram i'll put me and my wife up there but no pictures of my kid facebook closed off to the public that's where the kid pictures go i feel like you got to be cognizant of your audience you know and, and i feel like on instagram it's a 
better place than Twitter, but it still is a as as we found out from Ottawa can still be kind of a messed up place. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean that's just kind of a personal preference. Whatever you whatever you feel, how much you want to show, and um, again, that's just a personal preference. There's there's guys that likes to that like to show everything and some guys that don't like to show anything so keep it tight keep it maybe in the middle was it tough for you though because i mean you're young i mean like i'm sure instagram was a different animal for you before you became an nhl player right yeah um you know what i was actually ever since i was about 14 15 my parents always made made sure that i was never ever since i had facebook when i was a young kid and always made sure that just always told me you know you never know who's seeing this kind of stuff you're a hockey player and you know, I was going in the WHL draft, so I never wanted scouts, you know, that. So I was actually very, uh, very cogniz- cognizant of, yeah, of what I was putting out there and all that kind of stuff right from day one. What do your parents do? Uh, my dad is a plumber and my mom works for BC Hydro. So the question you've probably gotten before is how did you not fall into plumbing? Actually, that I've never heard that before. <laughs> I don't think really. I think actually that was, I actually got the complete opposite because my dad always used to tell me, growing up just kind of as a motivating thing he always used to tell me like when he would wake up at 6 a.m i can remember me being like eight or nine years old waking up at six to say bye to him or whatnot and 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 uh he would just tell me listen like you don't want to be doing this one day you know so work hard and you know hopefully you're not packing a lunch to work every day so that kind of motivated me as as a kid it's the most beautiful story instead of it's in dad being like you're gonna follow in my footsteps he's like don't be me (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean he didn't my dad's a great guy obviously my dad's a you know he's my role model but he wanted obviously me to be a hockey player and he knew he knew that playing in the nhl you you know you live a pretty good life so you know he's he wakes up at six every morning packs his lunch and works hard every day it's different lifestyles but he he you know just told me that that's not something i wanted to be doing you know a couple more things what do you got to work on for for a year or two with the islanders what what's the what's the big leap the big thing you're going to be doing this summer to kind of improve yourself i think just maintaining everything just making sure i'm not letting anything uh, slip or, you know, last summer I, I worked extremely hard last summer to, to so I didn't um, have to play, you know, get sent down to the AHL and have to develop in, in the minors. I, you know, I wanted to play right right away in the NHL and I worked so I worked super hard last summer and um, I'm going to do the exact same thing this summer. I mean, there's no reason why just because you have a little bit of success that, you know, your routine and your work ethic should stop. You know, you don't, you, I play a little bit with Connor McDavid and, uh, He's the hardest working guy, and he's the best player. So it's like, if he's doing that, what, you know, why shouldn't I be? When you see someone like Connor, who is uh, touched by God as far as like abilities go, right? Like, I mean, like when you see him put put the time in, yeah. it's got to be an inspiration, right? Well, to to, the to not the, rest of the thing is, you say he's touched by God, like you can say that, but I don't think it, I don't think he is. I don't think actually anyone is really. There may be a little bit of genetic um, advantage, maybe that some guys have, but. Um, you, you watching him you know that when he was ever since he was five six years old he was he was just working more than anyone else i i really think that because you know people say to me as well you know um you know you were lucky this kind of stuff but it's like maybe you know i just loved hockey and was obsessed with it as a kid so maybe that's why i've had success so i i think that's the same with connor it's like the sid thing like like the, the the famous thing about sid was that when he would be not as good at something as he wanted to be he would just learn how to win a face off or learn how to how to, how to fire a backhander from the slot better and that kind of thing and it's kind of the same thing with you and connor you see i i just think i just think because you mentioned connor that and you said that he was you know touched by god but i i just i just, I just don't think it's really like i just don't really think it's like that with anyone maybe again there's the genetic thing a little bit but there's an advantage but you know if he didn't work hard he wouldn't be where he is so he's 
he was the hardest working guy when I was with him at the World Championships, and you know you can tell why he's that good. There's a reason why he's that good. Two more. Uh, the, the, as we do this interview, the Calder Trophy will be handed out tomorrow night. We obviously don't know who is going to win. Right. We're not going to say anything as far as that goes. But what, what do you do if you think you might win? How do you prepare for it, uh, speech-wise? I mean, I think everyone here should have uh, you know something thought out, regardless of you know. Everyone has a chance, you know. You never, you never know here, and um, I think uh, I'm just really excited. To, I'm just really excited to be a part of the whole thing. I've obviously never been. This is my first time here, and it's been exciting. So, obviously, nervous t- for tomorrow and tomorrow night. Um, I'm just really excited, man. Uh, John Tavares coming back. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I really hope. I obviously really hope he does. I think you know. I would love to, for me and him to be a one-two punch for the next you know five eight years whatever it is down the middle so johnny's a great friend of mine and um nothing but respect for him and he's going to do what he thinks is best and you know i'm going to respect the decision he makes and finally since you are here for adidas we should probably ask other than the islanders jerseys which are chef's kiss pitch perfect okay. uh what do you, you have a favorite sweater in the league right now as far as uh, anything beyond the one the ones that you wear um in terms of another team's logo yeah, or, or just the look of it or whatever something you maybe admired when you grew up um, I mean, I, th- I I obviously really liked uh, the sh- I really liked the Chicago Blackhawks jersey growing up. That was my favorite team. And home or away, I like the Reds. Yeah, yeah, nice jersey. I like our blue. I think our blues are one of the nicest in the league too. Our blue and orange it doesn't have a fisherman on it, so it's obviously going to be an improvement. Matt Barzell, you're the best. Thanks for joining us here on ESPN on Ice. Thank you. Our thanks to Matt Barzell of the New York Islanders. Our thanks to Adidas Hockey for making that happen, as he is now one of the faces. The fresh young face of Adidas hockey. Very cool. Yeah. Barry Trotz is now the head coach of the New York Hockey Islanders, Emily. Your thoughts on the Stanley Cup champion taking over the beleaguered team? The inevitable. Yeah, right? Yeah. It was the obvious choice. It made a ton of sense. Look, I think a lot of the dirty laundry is coming out um, in a very passive-aggressive way of what happened between Barry Trotz and the Capitals. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is they were cheap. Like, if you think about it, like, their GM, Brian McClellan, pretty much said a lot of other teams, higher revenue teams, would have been able to pay for him. We couldn't. Right. Which I don't quite understand as they both the sellout streak and as they've probably gotten a ton of revenue in the Stanley Cup run with merchandise sales and all that. <laughs> yeah. I digress. Right. Um, but look, it was clearly a rift between management and coach. Coach felt like management didn't have trust in him. They didn't want to give him the extension early. la di la di la It was a principle of dollar. So he leaves. And where better to go than right across the division? He said that he thought he was taking a chance by resigning from the Capitals, but the Islanders reached out right away to oh, him. Oh, wow. Big surprise there. Isn't that funny how that works? Um, and this is his quote about the contract situation. For those who, who haven't heard, so none of us knew for about two weeks that Barry Trotz actually did have a contract for next season and the season after. It turns out that his contract, which we thought was up um, after the uh, the capital season, um, had a clause in it negotiated in 2014 that would have raised his salary by roughly $300,000 a season for the next two years. The, the Capitals owned that extension, those rights, and apparently were going to keep him to it. Uh, now, you know, keep in mind, since 2014, we've had the Mike Babcock contract. We've had the Joel Quenville contract. We've had the Claude Julien contract. We had many, many contracts that paid many, many millions to many, many coaches. And here was Barry Trotz winning a cup and making peanuts. So he said, quote, from Steve Wino of the AP, 
When it came to the business aspect, I was willing to listen. From my standpoint, I felt it wasn't really sincere that we, uh, what we did together. Um, I decided it was best just to move on. So, as I said, dirty laundry being very yeah. passive aggressively aired. Yeah, and it sounds like what the capital said was like, "Look, we're going to keep you to this extension, um, or or at least keep keep the salary down for a, a multi year extension based on what you would have made the, in, in the in the next two seasons." Mm-hmm. I mean, everything I heard from the Caps is they didn't want to go five over five with them, which is what the ask was. He's going to make four over five um, with the uh, the Islanders. And so, like, honestly, if he's asking for $5 million for a five-year term, and that means you fire him after three years and owe him $10 million, I kind of get that from a Caps perspective. But it's pretty clear that... Uh, that uh, their their stick-to-itiveness to the contract extension terms uh, really kind of uh, made a, a bit of a toxic relationship with their coach. And frankly, let's be honest, like they were prepping Todd Reardon to take over the team. It, it, at one point during the season, Cross was going to get fired. I think the, the, the capitals in their minds, especially in upper management, that has never paid a coach anything. I mean, from 1998 to Barry Trotz, they didn't hire a coach with NHL experience for one explicit reason, which is they didn't want to pay anybody. Okay? So they like coaches to be cheap. Barry wasn't going to be cheap. I think they wanted him out of there regardless. Yeah. And uh, you were hearing these rumblings all season long, right? Like, the people were saying if there's a chance they win, he's not going to be back. So, as I said, I think it's inevitable. What's really curious now is what happens with the Islanders. Like, did they just become respectable before our very eyes? Is <laughs> well, that what happened? I like your Grubauer thought, though. Like, would they would they do some business with the Islanders? Grubauer obviously was a favorite of Trotz's. So favorite they started in the first two playoff games. And uh, and so that would be an interesting landing spot. The word stability was thrown around a lot when Lou Lamarillo was hired. We always all wondered what that meant. Did it mean just having a, a, a guy with some cup rings who's old and, and well-known there to uh, right the ship? But now it's like you add Lou, you add Trotz, you probably add a goalie, you probably bring Tavares back from all indications. And all of a sudden, the Islanders got a little something going on there. Got a little something going on there on the island. And Trotz said it in his introductory press conference. He, I, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna try to quote it because I don't have a direct quote, but it said he thinks the negotiations are in a good place. I don't think he would say that without some basis. Yep, there you go. Uh, coming up after the break, PK Subban of the Nashville Predators talks to us about what it's like to be the target of much gossip, both on and off the ice. You're listening to ESPN on Ice. We're back on ESPN on Ice. PK Subban. Uh, was in Vegas as a Norris Trophy finalist, but also as the cover boy for NHL uh, ni- 19, 2024. Whichever one that was on the award show with those two really unfunny guys to try to call it Chell. Um, but PK <laughs> was here to talk to us about being PK Subban, about dating Lindsey Vaughn, about being the subject of trade rumors, and uh, and life overall for one of the more interesting characters in the NHL. And here's PK. PK Subban, you're decked out in your Adidas stuff. It's very solid. Yeah, I am. I'm Adidas athlete, three stripes all day, baby. I guess first off, tell me about the uh, cover photo. Do you get any input on what the cover of the, of the game looks like once you're uh, on the game? Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, uh, you know, I, I gave a lot of feedback about the cover, and, you know, we went through different images that uh, we felt was, you know, best, and I think that uh, the most important thing is that uh, whatever's on the cover needs to be symbolic of kind of you as a player, and, um, you know, traditionally it's been just more of, like, kind of, of standard skating. I think the image with Connor McDavid last year was more of an action shot, I think, which is cooler, and... Um, you know, I think my celebration, a lot of people know, is kind of like my trademark. So to be able to get that on the cover is pretty special. 
We just watched the trailer. Yeah. You seem pretty impressed. Uh, it, there's a, a whole pond hockey thing happening in the game this year. It seems like a, a rough and tumble pond hockey type mode would be something perfect for a game with PK Subban on the cover. Uh, almost like street ball. For sure. Well, I played a lot of shitting growing up. Yeah. You know, uh, anybody from Toronto that's listening, you know, playing at uh, Nathan Phillips Square or Sunny Lee uh, in Etobicoke and, um, you know, I, lots of late nights in the backyard rink. So, you know, very, very familiar with uh, playing hockey in freezing cold weather outdoors. And really, there's nothing better than that. I mean, some of my greatest memories of playing the game and, um, that's where I learned how to play the game as far as I'm concerned was on the shinny ring. As an American, I have no context for this. When you drop names like that, is it like somebody in New York being like I played at Rucker Park? Like are there, are there pond places in Toronto where it's like known that the game's gonna be, it's gonna be rougher than other places? Well, Nathan Phillips Square, I mean, I used to go there really, really young and, you know, at, at three, four years old playing, you know, shinny until, you know, 1230, one o'clock in the morning. So, I mean, uh, this was, you know, when I was really, really young. So my dad used to take me down there and anybody from Toronto knows Nathan Phillips Square and um, played a lot of shinny there. Just a lot of great memories, man. And growing up in Toronto and being able to live out my dream of playing in the NHL and now being on the cover of NHL 19, it's, uh, you know, it's a dream. It is a dream come true, but it's also symbolic of, of you know you know where my, where I'm at in my career also and 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 also just the sport itself I think um you know for a lot of kids out there understanding and seeing me on the cover represent a lot more than just playing the game of hockey and um you know I, I'm just really really excited to be on the cover what's your history with video games were you a gamer growing up are you still a gamer oh man I played growing up um you know I've said it before uh, my previous interview but 2003 was the very first time I got my NHL game and Jerome McGinley was on the cover and for PlayStation 1 and um you know, I, I remember playing it like religiously. It's like my parents would like, first of all, PK, move back from the TV. Second of all, like take a break. You've been playing for like three, four hours. You know, I just, I loved it and I loved to play. But, you know, the reality is I love the game of hockey. And when I wasn't actually playing it, I wanted to play it at home as well. <laughs> you know, um, I wasn't a big fan of watching the game yeah. when I was younger. I, I didn't really like, like, to, like, like watching games, on like TV. watching games on TV. I'd watch it my, because my dad would watch, but you know, I, I wouldn't go home and be like, Oh, I got to watch the hockey game, but I always wanted to play mm-hmm. and I love to play. And, um, I think that's where the video games came in. And then I had, uh, also I was like, I waited until my brothers were old enough and then I could play against them. And that's when it really got fun. Hey, so I saw you with the Humboldt kid yesterday at the yeah. availability. That was that was pretty powerful stuff. What, what was it like meeting those kids and, and, and interacting with them? Oh, it was great. I mean, um, you know, I'm just I'm very happy that I had a chance to meet them. Uh, I heard so much about them and just a, a special special group of kids. And um, you know, I think everybody, not only in the hockey world or in the hockey community, but in all communities across uh, you know North America, especially, can resonate to you know what they've gone through and and um you know that them understanding um you know that how they inspire people how deep that runs because they have they've inspired a lot of people and i think uh, after that incident everyone just held their their young ones and they're you know a little closer and um you know it was just very very uh touching moment to be able to meet them all you've always used the sport as a way to do good you know, and I feel like this year, and I think it's it's reflected in, in the way they're approaching the awards. We had humbled, we had the thing here in Vegas, we had the thing in Parkland with Lou going on the ice and saying what he said. It seemed like a year where we sort of all took a step back and said, "Oh yeah, that's right, hockey can be this thing 
that brings people together, that helps people heal, that can be something greater than just a frivolous entertainment expenditure? 100%. I think it has to be. You know, um, you know, at the end of the day, people are paying the price of admission to be entertained. But uh, in today's world, you know, I, you know, maybe in years past, people would pay the price of admission and not have to know the players and not know anything about them. Today's world, you have social media and all those things, and they know everything about you from your personal life to how much you make to where you were the day before, where you were the night before. You know, what you ate on game day, like they know everything about you. So, you know, it, you know, it, you, we have to embrace it. We have no choice to embrace it because that's the world we live in today. It's all about connecting and connecting with your fan base. And, uh, we see it, uh, hockey's continuing to grow. And I, I believe that out of all the pro sports, it has the most potential. And that's what's so exciting about being on the cover of NHL 19. I think that this is, uh, you know, a monumental point. Um, you know, for the NHL, and I think that uh, you know, I, I think it's a great moment for me personally as well. You, you say we know everything, so <laughs> in the last couple of months, you've become TMZ, People Magazine fodder based on personal life stuff. What, what's that been like? I mean, I, you've always been someone in the public eye, but now it's kind of taken on a different, different mode. I think, right, as far as that stuff goes. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, for me, I just. I try to keep my personal life pretty private. I've always pretty much done that, um, you know. But uh, at the same token, the, the more things that you do away from the game, um, kind of open you up to that. And you know, it's been all positive stuff. But you know what? There's uh, with that comes a lot, and you know, sometimes it can be intrusive. Sometimes um, it can be a lot of different things. But I think. You know, for me, understanding and playing in front of 20,000 or 22,000 people every night and playing on some big stages and uh, playing in some markets like Montreal and being in the league for, you know, almost 10 years now, um, you know, there, there's nothing, you know, it's nothing new to be uh, picked out or have a camera in your face, you know, so or to see articles written about you. You, know, like, hey, you played in Montreal, for God's sake. Right. <laughs> it's a little different when it's when it's about your personal life. Yeah. Um, but but that being said, I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, with, with Lindsay and myself, we're uh, continuing to just take, you know, every day uh, as it is. And in terms of, you know, TMZ and all that stuff, that stuff doesn't bother bother me. Speaking of rumors, I blame TSN. They put you on the trade board, and then all of a sudden people started talking about that. What did it mean to you to have David Poyle come out publicly and throw water on that before it got too hot? Yeah, well, you know, I first of all, um, whether there's trade rumors or not, I think having gone through it before, it doesn't really phase me. I think, um, you know, obviously I'm very, very happy in Nashville. Uh, we have a great group of guys. I think we have a phenomenal team, uh, you know, talent-wise and what we can accomplish. We have a tremendous amount of potential. Um, you know, so I'm very, very happy to be a part of that group and want to remain a part of that group. But, you know, I also understand that Nashville has one of the smartest hockey minds in David Poyle. And um, whether I'm a part of that plan or not, I know that he's going to make the, the moves necessary to make the team better. And, um, not just for this year, but for years to come, and that's his job. Um, you know, I hope that I'm a part of his plan, and uh, very happy to, to hear him have my back. But you know, I understand the business, and I know that things can change, and that's that's fine with me. You know, it's it's a part of it. All you can control is just you know being a, 
a good role model in, in the community and, and just uh, staying out of trouble and uh, playing the game hard and, and when you have opportunities to try to make the best of them. And that's all I'm trying to do in Nashville. Speaking of role models, uh, I have an eight-year-old daughter. And she's now a PK Subban fan because she saw you on the Kids' Choice Awards. Yeah. How'd that come about? Um, well, yeah, I did my rounds. The, the ESPYs last year doing the the Choice Awards and then doing the ESPYs was my first year doing that. And I'll be back again doing it again this year. So um, tell her I'll be back. And, uh, yeah, it was something new for me, but it was really exciting. You know, I love kids. I love to... Uh, to communicate with kids. I do a lot of different things with kids, both, you know, uh, through philanthropic endeavors and, and also just in my, my life, you know, my personal life. My, my, I have a lot of educators in my family. Both my sisters are teachers. My dad was a principal for over 30 years. My sister's husband is a teacher. So we, you know, we, uh, are the Subban clan are used to working with kids. So, uh, we never shy away from it. So it's always good whenever we can go to events like that and, and have some fun. Have you ever thought about, I mean, you, you've been obviously so involved with the children's hospital stuff and everything else. Have you thought, ever thought about being philanthropic as far as like education, funding of that? I mean, here in the States, it's kind of specious as far as with the public schools and funding getting cut and programs getting cut. Have you ever thought about exploring that, that aspect of, of philanthropy? Yeah, I've thought about a lot of different things. You know, I, I think that it's, it's tough to do everything. Yeah. I think everybody has to find, I think the most important thing in giving back, it's got to be authentic, you know, like, um, there's a lot of different causes out there and, and it's okay for people. I think people need to understand it's okay to say no, you know, it's okay to say, no, I can't do this or, you know, that's not for me. That's okay. You know, um, when you find something that is for you, then you go full tilt at it you put everything into it. But, um, everybody has their reasons for doing different things for different causes. And I think everybody has to take the time that if they want to give back to find out what's authentic to them, what means the most to them and, uh, try to fulfill that. That, that goal for sure. You, gotta be ha- you must have a lot of people knocking on your door, right? Um, yeah, you know, I, I get asked to do a lot of different things. I think most of the time now it's like signing jerseys or signing sticks for auctions and stuff. And, you know, I try to do that stuff. And, you know, other than that, they're right, you know, with the uh, PK Subban Foundation and, you know, in the Montreal Children's Hospital, Blue Line Buddies program. Uh, there's not a lot of time, you know, to do things outside of it. And we have things going on all the time. So that keeps me busy. Finally. You kicked on NBC. You did. Everybody loved it. Everybody was all about it. They're like, bring him back. I know when, when Ronick played, everybody was like waiting for Ronick to retire and be like, he's going to go on TV. He's going to be our Don Terry. And I feel like people now are like, this could be, this could be PK's thing when, when it's all said and done. He could be the guy on TV. He could be the, the, the next Don Cherry, but not actual Don Cherry. <laughs> was it like doing TV? Is that something you might anticipate could be in the future for PK Subban? Well, it's very flattering. If people are considering me to be the next Don Cherry, I mean, I, I, I cannot take that crown and I don't think anybody ever will be, you know, it's Don Cherry is like, you know, one of a kind and once in a lifetime individual. It could be because you did that cherry impression so damn good. Okay. If it's based on the impression, you know, I've seen that impression before and I don't think I could ever do it that good because I didn't know they were filming when I did it. So, you know, I really like was comfortable doing it. If I was like, if I would have known somebody was filming, maybe I wouldn't have been as good. So if you ask me to do it again, I may not have do it as, as well as I did it, but um, you know, Don Cherry's an icon, not just in hockey, a Canadian icon. So, um, you know, if, uh, if I choose to go down that road, I'd be lucky to have half the career that he's had. And he's been around so long, still does an amazing job. And no matter whether you agree with grapes or not, everybody turns on the channel to hear what he has to say. And 
um, that shows you his impact on on the sport uh, of hockey and really just in Canada. You know, he's really you talk about the game bringing people together. You know, Don Cherry, uh, whether he's talking positively or negatively about a topic or a player, he, he definitely brings people together because everybody watches Coach's Corner. Thanks, PK. All right, thank you. Our thanks to PK Subban. Our thanks to EA Sports. Uh, EA Sports uh, NHL 19 looks pretty damn cool. It's got a lot of uh, pond hockey features, as we talked to Subban Ooh. about. It looked pretty nice, uh, and it looks like a little bit of a – it reminds me of sort of the rough and tumble of an NBA jam, if you will, but uh, it's pond hockey instead. So good stuff there. Uh, do check it out. The trailer is online. You can watch it there. It's uh, it's really compelling stuff. And now it is time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Good one. Yes, it's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, the segment in which we discuss the foibles of the hockey media. Now, we could probably spend the next 17 hours going over the ballots of our brothers and sisters in the PHWA and how terrible some of the selections were. But instead... For the first time in the history of this segment, we turn the mirror on us. We focus on you, Emily Kaplan, and why Connor McDavid, the Art Ross Trophy winner for best (laughs) offensive season amongst point getters this year, was not one of the top three centers on your NHL postseason all-star team. Shame. Shame. You got called out for it, but people. I did. I, it made me feel good because people start, stopped yelling at me about the Hart Trophy and started yelling at you about your All-Star I team feel, vote. I was so concerned about the awards that when it came to the All-Star, I did it pretty quickly. And it was like there were so many people I wanted to put for Hart. And I was just like, this is a chance to give them all. And I just forgot. You forgot. I forgot about Connor. That's I fine. really did. It was an oversight. Honestly. I My bad. I, a, I feel bad. A refreshing response being that we've had people – Yelling around, and we have one guy, uh, Mike Seisberger, who's a friend, uh, talk about how we should not focus on how bad the votes from the PHWA are, instead focus on the humble Broncos segments of the NHL awards. Okay, that could probably go for anything in sports uh, when compared to a giant tragedy. Uh, and then we had, of course, Dave Schultz, who listed Taylor Hall as a center uh, instead of a left wing who uh, said he would resign from the PHWA and spend the rest of his days living under an overpass in New Jersey uh, paying penance for his sins. Because as you know, hockey writers have incredibly thick skin and can take criticism. <laughs> as long as there's like a boom box playing nonstop Bruce Springsteen under that overpass, he'll be just fine. <laughs> well, he is a hockey writer. The chances of that are pretty high. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline, the salary cap. The NHL salary cap for 2018-19 will be $79.5 million. Uh, the floor for all of you Ottawa Senators fans is $58.8 million. Kind of where we thought it would be. The upper end was going to be 80, so that's kind of exactly where we thought it was going to be. Revenue strong. Players seem like hap- they're happy. Escrow down. Uh, the good times are rolling for the NHL right now, financially. Financially, and for certain teams like maybe the Chicago Blackhawks, that's very favorable. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's my hot take, actually? What's that? I think it's bad for the Vegas Golden Knights because the one advantage they had over, over every other team yeah. is big cap space, yeah. and now that advantage has shrunk. If every, every, every team can all of a sudden afford their players and not have to jettison them to the teams with giant swaths of cap space. Yes. Very good point. I talked to Bill Foley at the awards. It'll be a Q&A coming up next week on ESPN. And we talked about the cap space, and he said that uh, they'll use it. 
Good. And I said, <laughs> but are you worried about bringing in like big name talent that might like rock the boat? I use Tavares as an example. Like you bring in a guy like that and all of a sudden Jonathan Marcheseau is like a second line center. Like, isn't that going to rock the boat? Isn't, isn't ego going to now be a factor for this team going forward despite having none of it in year one? And he said to me, well, we just have to bring in the right people then. Mm. Because, you know, it's that easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that easy. Yeah. All you got to do is bring in the right people and no one will ever be jealous. The other 30 teams don't know how to bring in the right people. Right. We do. He knows the right people. Yeah. He must have an amazing personality test that he gives people. Mm. It's, it's got to be several different BuzzFeed quizzes. <laughs> he knows exactly what kind of pizza they are, uh, what episode of Friends they are, and where they should vacation next summer based on their preferences at Starbucks. You don't spend a lot of time on BuzzFeed, do you? No, I don't. I'm like, holy sh- sh- cow, I need to take these quizzes. Dateline. <laughs> if anyone can't tell, I was just giving him a very blank look. Dateline Slava Voinov. So the frivolity on this uh, podcast has to take a, a, a break real quick because Slava Voinov wants to come back to the NHL. He went to jail for domestic violence. He left the country because of that conviction or that no contest that he pled to rather. Um, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly spoke about the uh, Voinov situation at the Board of Governors meeting in Las Vegas. And basically what it looks like now is he clears all of his legal hurdles in the U.S. He clears all of his legal hurdles in the in Canada. The, then the next step is a meeting with Gary Bettman after the NHL does their own investigation into the matter and uh, into the years that have uh, occurred after the incident to uh, find out what kind of uh, life he's been leading. Uh, and then Gary Bettman will be the one to say yay or nay insofar as his re-entry into the NHL. Yeah, so this is something I've been um, making a lot of calls on in the last week. And I just think it's interesting that the NHL is the only of the four major North American sports leagues that does not have domestic violence policy. And if domestic violence policy is good because it's a catch-all, it's consistency, right? It's for everybody. Right. It, it takes a lot of pressure off the teams. They don't have to decide. It also makes sure that, like, Gary Bettman isn't judge or jury for all of these. And it's just – the process they have, I find slightly troubling, but I think it's the way that Gary and Bill like to do things. And they're like, we're the guys that get to choose. It's a case by case basis. They'll say it's not really an issue, but look, this isn't the first domestic violence issue they've had to deal with. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think, um, whatever the NHL at the end of the day, um, I think is going to be the one that takes the most grief here because they are the firewall. They're the ones that could step in and be like, guess what? You don't have the right to play here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I imagine what they'll do is they'll spin it uh, to the team that decides they want them. Which is, I don't, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like. Oh, no, that's what they'll do. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. Like, if, if a team is like steps up and said, you know, we, we've acquired his mm-hmm. rights in the LA Kings, you know, we want him reinstated, the, the, the league will be like, well, what did you want us to do? The team wanted him. So I think that's going to be what it ends up being. But it's it's a bad look for all involved. I'd, I'd rather never see him play another game in the NHL, but you know he's going to play in the NHL again. Someone's going to sign him. Someone with a need in their top four defensemen will sign Slava Voinov and, and then suffer the slings and arrows and uh, from their fan base, and, and, and you know, we'll just go from there. And I just wish there was a policy in place because then there's certain safeguards in places. Like maybe there's a program where you have to go through a certain amount of hours of counseling or things like that, and it could just – help him better integrate with the team and society, but well, I digress. Yeah, except for for the, you know, God, you know, we, we didn't really talk about the Austin Watson situation this past week, too. That situation is going to be what it is. I'm not too familiar with the evidence in the case. So I want to speak too much about it. But I do know this. The dude was one of the, the, the predators that spoke as part of the anti-domestic violence mm-hmm. like initiative that they had in the wake of the Mike Ribeiro stuff, I think it was. So, God, like, just 
ah, it makes you insane. Mm-hmm. Like the ones that are supposed to be the advocates, the ones that you're supposed to be like, yes, yeah, so a shining light for this league to step up and, and, and say these things, then gets embroiled in something like this. And you just you just roll your eyes to the point where they, they fall out of the back of your head. And again, with this case, the Predators will defer to the NHL. The NHL will wait. He has a court date next week. We'll see what happens. And then they'll decide. Oh, if there's a team in this league that I have zip negative faith in, that this will affect his standing with that team in any way, shape, or form. It's the it's it's the it's the Nashville Predators, the the the, the wayward home uh, that David Poyle has created there for people that probably shouldn't be in the league anymore. Anyways, Dateline, Ottawa. <laughs> As we continue down the descent into the abyss of the NHL, uh, the cyberbullying case involving uh, Mike Hoffman's fiance and Eric Carlson's wife manifested this week in a trade, Emily. As uh, as Hoffman was traded to the San Jose Sharks because, you know, they don't want him in the same division, Ottawa. The Sharks then traded him to the Florida Panthers, who, of course, are in the same division as the Ottawa Senators. Uh, so good good on them. What was your uh, reaction to this, uh, this uh, do-si-do that we saw between these teams? Doug Wilson, take a bow. You are GM of the year. That is an incredible wheeling and dealing of pretty much getting yourself involved in something just to come out on top. Um, I think that poor Mike Kaufman shouldn't let the shade slap him on the way out because that's what the senators are doing. Pierre Dorian said their locker room was broken and yeah. that's why they had to trade him. Um, look, Dale Talon said that he does research and he thinks he's going to be a fine member of their locker room. Hopefully that's the case and whatever happened and transpired in Ottawa sounds very toxic and hopefully he can remove himself from that, rehab his career and become a better person and off the ice, you know, figure it out. But it's just, it's a weird situation, right? Cause you're not even talking about him being toxic. It's his fiance. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the Florida Panthers, uh, Luongo said that he'd be welcome to the locker room. Uh, Talon, Dale Talon, their GM talked about how the wives and girlfriends have been reaching out to him saying that, they're, you know, they're going to welcome them with open arms. And I find that hard to believe, but that's at least what they're telling him. The trade, in case you're wondering, uh, Michael Boddicker, a, a really fast skater, but doesn't do much else, goes to the senators. And they clear uh, a cap space of $4 million. Yep, the Sharks do. The Sharks do. Yep. And, and then, uh, Mike Hoffman. And, and a bunch of, and the, the bottom line is that, uh, the, the San Jose Sharks got a second round pick for Mike Hoffman and the Ottawa Senators didn't, which is stunning. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the most stunning part of this entire equation beyond the fact that Pierre Dorian didn't, you know, say to Doug Wilson, Hey buddy, I'll give you Mike Hoffman if you promise not to trade him back to my division. Right. But that didn't happen. Uh, finally, Dateline, the NHL draft here in Dallas. All right. You were talking with some of the prospects today. You were around the draft people. What do you think? Good draft, bad draft, decent draft, fun draft. I think probably an okay draft. It seems like there's some players to be had. Yeah, see, I I don't have the institutional knowledge here, so I'm like, wow, these guys look all young and fun, and Isn't it's stunning be great. how how young they look, by the way. Yeah, so well, my little sister is that age, so I feel like I can talk to them on that level, like with my millennial vocal fry and such i think zadina is going to be interesting the guy that i'm most interested in as ben aldrich pointed out on our round table round table this morning is uh oliver wallstrom amazing hockey player who was nine yeah who was a nine-year-old viral video star for a a move that he did in a a, 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 like a a mites on ice game with the boston bruins um so i'm fascinated to see where he goes there's been a lot of talk about potentially him going to the blackhawks because it makes so much sense because they have a fetish for american-born players who are very skilled. Yes, they need defensive area need, but if he's there, like he's 
probably better than Debrinket. He's a sure 40 goal scorer. And Chris Peters mentioned Quinn Hughes today, who everybody has sort of dog-eared for the Detroit Red Wings because of his relationship with Jeff Blaschel. Um, my, my most impressive thing about Hughes is the fact that every single time someone asks about his brother Jack, he is like a hype man. He's like, yeah, he's like the flavor flavor for for his brother. Brady's like that great. with Matthew too, though. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. Like, you know, if not that was, Matthew really needs the hype man, I know, right? If it were me and my younger brother was being, uh, you know, considered the American Gretzky, <laughs> like I would be kind of bitter about it. Look, I'm pretty. I'm a good defenseman. I'm going number five yeah, in the draft. I will help the Detroit Red Wings do something in several years. Um, but instead, he's just really cool about it. And I guess it's all, you know, keep it in the family. I'm sure, you know, when Jack buys his first yacht, the other Hughes boys will be able to go on it. So it's cool that they're all pretty cool with it. Quinn can probably buy a mini yacht, too. A, a smaller yacht, a schooner of some sort. I assume Jack will have, you know, you know, the giant ocean liner type deal mm-hmm. anchored off the, co- the coast of Malta. Quinn, Quinn's going to have to be in Lake Michigan with his schooner, by comparison. <laughs> he can come visit me in Chicago. <laughs> Sail across, my friend. All right, now it's time for the ESPN and Ice rant line of the week, centered on, of course, the Ottawa Senators' troubles. Hey, guys, this is Sam from New Brunswick calling. And um, unfortunately, I'm an Ottawa Senator fan. But I'm at a point where it's um, incredibly frustrating and saddening. That doesn't make sense. Oh, just uh, what's going on. Thing with Mike Hoffman's girlfriend and um, Linda Carlson, um, Randy Lee, um, with allegations of sexually assaulting and then the organization not suspending him for two weeks and suspending him uh, just recently. How <laughs> Eugene Melnick um, is the... I don't know. If Eric Carlson leaves, I don't have anything anymore. I don't know. It's something that I love to watch. He's someone that brings a lot of happiness and if he's gone is my happiness gone too thanks for making me laugh greg and emily well that was quite a call uh the eric carlson trade uh when it happens will be the the death of happiness for many people in ottawa i mean i want to i want to give some encouraging words about where the direction of the franchise is going and all that but i really don't have them it's it's the it's the darkest time it's the darkest timeline for the ottawa senators right now and I, and, I, and I say that specifically thinking about Matt Duchesne and the fact that he left Colorado because he didn't want to be part of a rebuild. And now he is not only just in part of a rebuild in Ottawa, but like one in which you don't even know what the fate of the organization is going to be because their owner is so maligned. My only thoughts are maybe Gary Bettman is right. Maybe this is a media exaggeration and it's all going to be okay. Yep. Last thing on that, by the way. So I asked Bettman about, about the senators and about, you know, if the league is embarrassed when things go as bad as they are with Ottawa. And he made some reference to, like, a, the, the tombstone being written for a franchise. And, and that, to me, meant, like, the death of a franchise. So I made a reference to, hey, you know, but sometimes you guys put the paddles on a team and, re- and, and revive them. And both he and Bill Daly, I guess because they were frat bros at some point, thought I meant, like, the giant paddle with... <laughs> Greek letters yeah. that you get smacked on the oh, ass. Oh no, like, no, they no! They didn't realize I was talking about a defibrillator. They told me that later on. Um, you know, at first they thought I meant that the NHL goes up to, I guess, the squatting uh, backside of a team and, and gives them seven smacks to revive them. Which I guess is more NHL than using a defibrillator. Now that I think about it, but <laughs> that's what are you so do? awkward. All right. Well, this was a Titanic supersized, amazing edition of ESPN on Ice. I uh, hope everybody enjoys the draft this weekend. Uh, 
I hope everybody realizes that we're doing this the day before the draft. So all of the trades you've seen that aren't on this podcast, that's why. Um, <laughs> thanks to Matt Barzell and Adidas. Thanks to PK Subban and EA Sports. And uh, thanks to you for uh, making time to listen to this. And thanks to you, Emily, for making time to do the podcast on a busy day for you. Well, thanks for you making time on a busy time for you. Well, thanks for bringing me coffee while I drank during the podcast. I did thanks bring you to coffee. Everybody. Thanks to Dave Lozo, my partner from Puck Soup, who's been on the bed the entire time. Third wheel. Typing away on his laptop and being a good boy. He's not saying anything because I think he knows that ESPN then has to pay him a salary for appearing on the podcast. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.